Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Furhoff. We're thrilled to have our good friend Sabina Wilms with us here today. Sabina is an expert in classical Chinese medicine. She's a real scholar. She got her PhD in East Asian Studies and Medical Anthropology at the University of Arizona. And I'm actually going to let Heiner introduce the titles of some of her recent translations so that I don't butcher them. Heiner? Yeah, Dr. Wilms is a specialist in the translation of classical Chinese medicine text, and she has completed the daunting task of of translating the volumes on gynecology in a um, text that is almost 1,500 years old, written by Sun Miao, a great paragon of virtue in Chinese medicine. Uh, called the uh, Volumes on Gynecology from the Essential Prescriptions Worth a Thousand in Gold for Every Emergency, called the Beiji Qianjin Yaofang in Chinese. And also she has completed the translation of the first part of the Jingui Yaolue, an extremely important uh, text, uh, almost 2,000 years old, Essentials from the Golden Cabinet that most Chinese medicine practitioners know and also uh, parts of the Zhenjiu Dacheng, a Ming Dynasty compendium called the Great Compendium of Acupuncture and Mark Sebastian. So welcome, Sabina. Thanks for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. So let's start off by talking about how did you get interested in the study of these books that are thousands of years old? Is this an academic exercise for you, or what's it all about for you? It started out being very much academic. I was looking for a dissertation topic, and um, gynecology seemed like the perfect choice for learning about Chinese culture and the way... It's hard to explain. It, 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 women, The way a culture looks at women's bodies and things like childbirth and the development of the fetus and whether female processes are pathological or healthy or natural or how you define what's, what's good and what's not, what's healthy, what's ill, that sort of thing. It just seemed like it, it gave a lot of insight, potential insights into Chinese culture. So that's really how I got started. And then with my medical anthropology background, I also knew how to ask a lot of questions about the text. And then I, um, after that, I started teaching at a Chinese medicine school in Tucson, and then I got a job at Paradigm Publications, working for them, writing and translating books on Chinese medicine, and then I got into teaching. And what I'm realizing more and more, I don't consider myself an academic anymore. And I think I translate the classics and I teach about the classics because I really think that they are important, not just for – I mean, they are important for practitioners. There's wisdom in these old books. And I'm fascinated to hear both of your opinion about where – I wonder where this knowledge comes from in these old texts, where these formulas and these insights into the development of the fetus or – you know, I'm working on pediatrics right now, this thing about steamings and transformations in the first few months after birth. Where does this stuff come from? But, so it, it, but beyond the medical contributions, you know, I think the classics have 
can can teach us as a culture in a on a much deeper level and i'm just i'm i, I haven't quite formulated that but that's really where i'm going with my with my personal life and my teaching life i hope mm-hmm. what is that deeper level just from a very personal perspective what do you think is the essence of why the classics are important for us nowadays not just for the technicalities of these amazing pieces of wisdom that actually work in clinical practice uh, sometimes better than these uh, more uh, technical details we ascribe in Chinese medicine nowadays. Really, that's the amazing thing, that these things are not just beautiful, but they really work. Uh, um, But for you, why do you think for the general public? Uh, Because you spend enormous amount of time I have translated books myself from classical Chinese. I know it's a labor of love, very difficult. Um, uh, why do you think it is valuable for modern people to look at texts that are 2,000 or even more years old? I, I don't quite have the answer figured out. I just know it. <laughs> that is the short answer. Um, I mean, one one aspect is definitely like with Sun Tzu Miao is his ethics that that he can offer so much inspiration and he has a vision of Chinese medicine and a physician as a well-rounded individual who has insights and compassion and you know cultivation inner cultivation and who has just a a presence in society that is that goes so much beyond just fixing people's headaches. But I think there's even more to the classics than that. I think we can really, as a culture, and and I love to teach physicians, I mean, clinicians, practitioners, because I think that that practitioners are in a position of of huge power. Every every person that we train at NCNM or, or every person who comes to a little lecture that I give is going to go and see hundreds and thousands of patients. And these patients want to get better, so they listen to physicians. And I think Chinese medicine has a, has a vision of this whole idea with the harmony between microcosm and macrocosm, and the microcosm being the human body and the macrocosm being the universe. Everything is qi, but there's all these other microcosms. So it's not just about aligning the human body to the macrocosm. It's really, it's about a lot more. And I got into this when I when I started teaching at fertility conferences. I'm not a fertility person. And I just got into this because I translated a text on nurturing the fetus. I have really mixed feelings about, about this whole biomedical tr- fertility treatments and all these things. But then I realized what I do as a farmer is fertility. It's sustainability. It's working with the soil. It's, it's, it's it, taking care of animals and introducing bees and irrigating and, and fertilizing my trees. And somehow it's all coming together in my life in a way that I can't quite explain yet, but it's coming together. Yeah, we did an interview <laughs> with Katie Langstaff recently, maybe a month and a half ago, who was talking about the the microcosm of the home or a building, you know, and how that's a very organic um, structure, just like a body is, and that there's, there's a way that a home or a building can be designed in order to keep, well, to reflect 
the macrocosm in such a way that it also supports the health of the microcosm of the human body. Does that fit with the idea of what you're saying, like the idea of a home or a farm or a community or, you know, just keep going up to the bigger level. Does that fit with what you're saying? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. The whole thing about yin and yang and the five phases. And it applies to everything in your life. You know, you start with the human body, and that's what practitioners start with. But then practitioners apply it in their own lives, whether it's, you know, eating in accordance with the seasons or or nurturing your your five viscera or whatever. And it, yeah, it's just, it's endless to me. And it can apply to politics, it can apply to personal relations, to to gender relations, to, to everything. Yeah, that's the perfect example, I think. And this is exactly sort of uh, what is one of the core topics that uh, Lori and I like to discuss on the show, or maybe the whole sh show was originally conceived like that, to have in an age where more and more of us are interested as patients, as practitioners, to go into the field of alternative medicine and Chinese medicine specifically is that there is this discrepancy between sort of like a medical technician path and a vision that is much greater. And um, uh, you just started to outline sort of a greater vision of what you find in the classics for what it means to be a doctor. Uh, and Sun Tzu Miao uh, in almost 1,500 years ago, wrote this piece called Da Yi Jing Cheng, the, the essence of uh, what it means to become not just a physician, not just a technician, but a great physician, uh, that Da Yi. And we actually, it's that important to us that we made uh, uh, portions of that, the oath that our students at the School of Classical Chinese Medicine are reciting when they are graduating. So uh, as the world expert on Sun Tzu Miao, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Sun Tzu Miao's vision? Uh, and of course, the you know him sort of spelling out for us what the vision of the field of Chinese medicine is, at least in ancient times, for what it means to be a doctor. Well, that's a big question. <laughs> Do I have five hours? No. <laughs> You just made me very happy to hear that. I think it's a it's an amazing that that first volume. There's just such wisdom and it, in 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 his writings in that first volume where he has that chapter. Um, one of one of the issues that I have struggled with personally is that I am not a practitioner in the narrow professional sense of the world. And sometimes people, when I go to conferences and I teach about Chinese medicine, people challenge me. They're like, what does Sabina have to say about these things? She doesn't even know how, where to stick the needles. And I think somehow I have ended up devoting my life to Sun Tzu Miao. It's like the universe has taken over and that's what I'm supposed to be doing in this lifetime. And Sun Tzu Miao, I think, is really important because, as, as you said, he's a counter counterweight to this idea of a physician as this person who just knows the techniques and the tools and who is so educated in, in the little specialty that they have no time 
to to focus on the other things like cultivating chi or or looking at the stars or you know sitting and listening to the trees and um sun Miao, in his bi- i have studied i've spent quite a bit of time studying his biographies from that are close within several hundred years of when he lived and there is no evidence that he was a professionally practicing physician in the modern sense of that word and i used to it used to bother me and it used to be really offensive to all these physicians who adore sun sumiao as china's greatest physician who ever lived and now i've come to a new understanding where i think he had a vision of medicine that was just so much bigger than seeing 20 30 40 patients and healing every day and and healing patients physical sickness and i think his vision was just much broader and it was about nurturing life it was really about yangsheng and as part of that that's why women's bodies are so important because he yangsheng in classical medicine was really i mean disagree with me you know heiner you <laughs> we can talk about this um but to me when i look at the han dynasty texts yangsheng is an individual practice about how to cultivate health and prolong your life and prevent disease how to harmonize your body with the changes of the transformations of qi by understanding the dao and the changes of yin yang and the five phases and to me sun simiao's perhaps his biggest contribution is that he extended this idea of nurturing life to to include society first he first he says in this volume on women that in order you know a specialist in the art of nurturing life has to first study the volumes on women because women's bodies are so complicated they're 10 times more difficult to treat and women are the root of of reproduction of of the continuation of life so he puts he puts such emphasis on women's bodies and then pediatrics and then and then he was very much influenced by buddhism in the sense that as a physician you have an obligation you have to have compassion and you devote your life to relieving suffering and you have to really you have this gift as a physician you you're 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 very lucky to me as a practitioner you you have a gift that you can give to the world and it's part of yangsheng i think it makes you a healthy person if you have such a gift and you can express that so part of practicing nurturing life making yourself healthy is you get to heal people which makes you healthy right i mean or you get to teach qigong i mean lore you know yeah. you guys both and the place where sun samyao practiced uh, is a daoist temple today i partially inspired by your work when i uh, for another reason i went to xian in shanxi province last year i made the trip out to his uh, place where he lived and where he practiced and it was incredibly moving experience a little bit unexpected for me uh, for two reasons, because number one, um, the uh, part of his work, including the pieces you translate, they are actually still visibly there uh, 1,500 years after his death, chiseled into stone because he wanted people, he wanted these things that were secret teachings 
at this time uh, to be there for everyone to see, which is really highly unusual. Uh, we've all heard about this Chinese or Oriental secrecy around um, passing on things just in the family and only to a man or a son, not to the daughter, because she will marry into another family and will take the secrets with her. Whereas in the classic of uh, The Yellow Emperor, the original seminal work on foundational values of this medicine, specifically said that this is unethical, that uh, the medical knowledge is imparted by the universe itself, and it needs to be there for everybody. And um, Sun Tzu Miao lived, lived at the beginning of the Tang Dynasty, it, which is a time when already Chinese medicine was very much established as being handed on from family to family. And he really was so untouched by this kind of smallness of mm -hmm. medicine mm -hmm. as an enterprise. And he was really, um, he's, I have a wonderful painting at home of him from the end of the Ming Dynasty where he is sitting in the traditional repose on, on the tiger's back where, mm -hmm. you know, the vanquisher of evil energies, but also as the friend of the animals in the forest. And he has a halo around his head. In He's portrayed in Buddhist garb. So he was, uh, the Taoists consider him part of their tradition, the mm -hmm. Buddhist part of their. So you're absolutely correct. He is uh, primarily a holy man mm -hmm. in Chinese culture and secondarily then uh, a physician. And Secondly, then I visited his grave, and I it was like this this big mount that the the local villagers spontaneously everybody came and uh, wanted to th you know add a piece to that because he did so much for the community, and I um, um, felt at that moment there was a certain you know dis admiration for this person welled up. I was full of gratitude for that there was a person I could look up to. Uh, in this field, and um, also, of course, some shame that I'm so far away as a practitioner myself from these ideals of the medicine. So, uh, I actually had a um, translator. I was just in Rotenburg at the conference, and I did a little one-and-a-half-hour thing on nurturing the fetus, and I had this poor German translator, and I warned her this was going to be really stressful because I was throwing information at them, and I hate having a translator because it slows it down. And she did a beautiful job. And at the end of the lecture, she came up to me and she she started crying and she had exactly your experience. She went to his his area and followed him and she was touched. Just And I've never been there, but she had exactly the same gut feeling. So there's so I think there's so much more to Sun Sumiao than than we know. So Sabina, since you've spent so much of your life and your heart and your energy focusing on on this practice and what Sun Tzu Miao said. Can you give our listeners some of the pearls of wisdom that you've gleaned from the writings about Yangcheng, um, maybe specifically for women or for all of us? I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I think it comes back to that that idea, like broadly, about harmonizing the various microcosms with the macrocosm and really learning in whatever way. I, and I think that's why we can modernize. I think Sun Tzu Miao is still so relevant today. You know, he has advice on, 
on sexual intercourse that's totally culturally, we just go like, what, what, what? It makes no sense. But we can take his ideas about, about understanding. It's really, to me, it's about understanding the Tao, about understand everything is always changing in that Taoist sense. And if we understand the way the world is changing, if we understand, like in my personal life, I've made choices where for five years I banged my head against the wall and it just about killed me. And if I'd been a more insightful, wise person in retrospect, I would have, you know, packed up and left a long time earlier. So, so there's ways of being in the world that's just more... That's, and I think it's very hard in our modern times because we are all so preoccupied with, we're so stressed about work, about personal relationships, especially for women. I think his biggest message for women is that reproduction, childbirth, is, is really, it's, it's an exhausting, taxing contribution to Yangsheng. And women need to be supported and nurtured before conception even and then throughout pregnancy. You know, there's advice for every month of pregnancy about how the woman in the beginning needs to be very kept very quiet and to deepen her dwelling and that sort of thing. And then in the middle, she needs to run and, and gaze at tigers and rhinoceri and that sort of she She needs to eat wild meat and, and shake her limbs because the fetus's limbs are being developed. And then towards the end, she loosens her girdle and has servants wait on her and she gets to kind of just let go and drink wine and and... I think, you know, that sort of thing that 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 if we're in, in tune with, in this case of pregnancy, the, the changes of pregnancy, they're not the same from one month to the next. There's big changes going on with the fetus, and it is related to the to the five phases. And if, if we have this kind of insight, we can support a woman through that and create healthy fetuses and happy mothers, and it's just better for everybody. And none of that happens in our modern culture. And then especially postpartum, you know, you, it, you, you take care of women after childbirth. And this whole, to me, the fascination with gynecology is that it's really not about healing menstrual cramps. It's about looking at the female body and especially the menstrual cycle and, and Chinese medicine, I feel like gives has a vision of female health that is not just fixing little problems. It's about really creating a, a healthy body that is operating, operating the way it should. And the menstrual cycle is this, this powerful symbol of, of fertility and balance between qi and blood and abundance. And, um, you know, that's sort of a vision of health that goes so far beyond disease so that you never have to you, you never even get sick, this treating disease before it arises. Well, it just ideal. occurs to me to reflect that um, your daughter, Momo, <laughs> shows that you have a deep understanding of this because your daughter is at an age where a lot of girls are stressed out. They're, you know, they're involved in what's happening. And not that I'm sure your daughter doesn't have stress in her life, but you look at her and she is so vital. She has a glow and a shine and... 
I know that she, you know, she's lived on a farm and she's had raw goat milk and she's eaten on a regular um, schedule, healthy food. And anyway, just want oh, you just have no idea to what's that. in our refrigerator. You have no <laughs> idea. I'm never having you over again. <laughs> but don't, don't, I mean, you must be happy about this situation and just thinking about having really nourished the life of your daughter who is so vital and healthy. And it, it, it has taught me. I mean, I believe we, our teaching always reflects who we are as individuals. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'm teaching in a very different way because I have a kid. And it concerns me, you know, things like global warming. I have a kid. So I care about the world and the future and food production and gasoline consumption and all these unpleasant topics. And I talk to Momo about it. Mm -hmm. we, we, we very much, and I say, turn off the lights. I'm, I'm a stickler about turning off the lights because I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell Momo it's because, it's because, you know, I want you to have a world where you get to be who you want to be. We are so lucky. We live on a mountaintop surrounded by nothing but forest. And it's totally quiet and dark and peaceful at night. We are so lucky to have that. I want her to have that choice when she grows up. Maybe another uh, couple of comments from another German on the subject <laughs> of uh, what, uh, what we can take from the example of Sun Miao into our everyday lives. And for me, um, the remarkable thing about the... Uh, his example is that he was basically the greatest physician of his time, yet he wrote the Beiji Qian Jin Yao Fang, this work that's called uh, Essential Prescriptions that you wouldn't exchange for a thousand pieces of gold because it's so valuable, by going around the countryside and humbling himself with every illiterate peasant doctor and saying, you have a piece that I don't know. Please teach me. I'm willing to put my head on the floor because that is the only way how you somebody like that would teach you uh, except mm -hmm. the, you as their disciple. And so he's not only the embodiment of a real Taoist seeker and a Buddhist um, seeker of the clarity and, and pure consciousness and uh, compassion, but also the Confucian tradition of humbling yourself and honoring any kind of uh, wisdom tradition and the people around you have something to teach. Like Confucius said, if I'm in a group of three people or if I'm with two other people, um, my teacher for sure is among them. And, you know, thanks to this attitude of Sun Tzu Miao, um, uh, we have this, uh, this, this, this book and uh, we find that very often in modern times that in this day when you get last place in something, you get this golden trophy or so that everybody thinks we are the greatest. And this, this example is that the, the more we know that the real knowledge is the inner knowledge to, to find your true nature here um, by, uh, yeah, in his case, being an example for real humility. And then... For practitioners, <clears throat> coming back to the topic that you mentioned at the very beginning is he is truly showing us that medicine is not just showing how the liver and the kidneys, etc., are 
related, um, but showing our relationship to the universe, very much like the Huangdi Neijing itself. His book at the very beginning is a repository of uh, in an educational manual for practitioners of this medicine showing us you need to read these books first, which mm -hmm. are astrological mm -hmm. texts mm -hmm. and uh, geographical texts, and you need to understand the macrocosm and our connection to that before, and then at the very end, he lists sort of the technical test of his time. So he says you need to know your stuff and where the points are in your herbs, but much more importantly is this expansive view of the universe and how we connected to it. Yeah, thank you. That's and and you know, in in that sense, I think he was a really important figure for kind of connecting these two different traditions in the early texts where you have the Huangdi Neijing, the Yellow Emperor, which is kind of detached from the clinical practice, from the low-level tools. You know, if you want to learn where to stick the needles, you don't read the Yellow Emperor's classic. You go to some. You go to the Shanghan Lun, the discussion on cold damage, and Sun Simiao, in his writing, he has both. He gives you the technical tools. He gives you these beautiful formulas and the information, and yet he gives you that 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 ideal of of that you have to root this this technical skill that you do in in yeah this this understanding of the universe by looking at the clouds by doing face reading by you know knowing how to arrange a house all these things and he kind of puts the two together and i think in that way he inspired that whole development from the song dynasty on this this ideal of the scholar physician I mean, we could go on for hours. You're right, we could, and it's hard not to. So we'll have you back in the future, Sabina, but that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. That's all we have for today. Thanks for joining us at True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. If you are interested in reading Dr. Wilms' translations, uh, go to the website of the Chinese Medicine Database, uh, that also has published uh, most of her books. Um, some examples are the volumes on gynecology from the Beiji Qianjin Yaofang called The Essential Prescriptions Worth a Thousand in Gold for Every Emergency, translation of the Essentials from the Golden Cabinet, Jingui Yaolue, and the Great Compendium of Acupuncture and Mark Sebastian, the Zhenzhou if you are interested in pursuing yourself a career in natural medicine, specifically classical Chinese medicine, go to the website of National College of Natural Medicine, ncnm.edu, or uh, use as a resource classicalchinesemedicine.org for articles and video lectures on similar topics like this. Mm -hmm.